But what's super cool about this cave is that um, it's in the middle of a lake that you know, it looks like a normal lake, but you would never know that about you know 35 feet or so beneath that lake surface is a super beautiful cave that's just it's just unbelievable. Episode 337, Cave Diving with Joshua Schaus. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hey all, welcome to 2018. We are back with all new episodes. I hope you guys enjoyed your holidays. We know we enjoyed ours as well as our break. On today's episode, we have one of our own listeners, Josh Schaus. He's here to talk about cave diving. It's a good one, so sit back, relax, and on with the show. Hi friends, thank you again for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I've got a great guest for you today. Joshua Schaus is here to talk about cave diving. I have been wanting to do a cave diving episode for a long, long time, and Josh stepped up to the plate for us. Uh, I don't know why, but it's been tough to find a cave diver to be on the show. Josh is in Louisville, Kentucky. He started scuba diving about four years ago and got into cave diving pretty quickly. He's been doing cave diving for about three years And man, he is tearing it up. He has over 160 cave dives already. So quite a lot of experience for such a short period of time. I am really excited to pick his brain about an adventure sport that we have not yet talked about on the Adventure Sports Podcast. So Josh, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Pretty excited to be able to talk about it. Oh yeah, it's really, really cool. I don't even know where to start almost. I think we should start with scuba. Just the, the scuba 101 thing. We've done several shows on scuba diving. And so our listeners can go back. And I say this almost every show, but if you go to the adventuresportspodcast.com, at the top there's a link for uh, episode categories. So if you click that link, then all of our shows are listed there. If you do a control F, then that will allow you to put in any term you want or a person's name and you can find the show. So if you want a more in-depth show about just scuba diving, like ocean diving in particular, then maybe go there. Today, we're going to spend most of our time on cave diving. But Josh, let's talk about scuba at the beginning, just for those who don't know about scuba and haven't heard those earlier shows. Let's start here. Why did you take up scuba diving? So I was going to, I was in college, um, getting my first degree, and I went to school with my brother, and we were both kind of looking for um, a easy class and that we could take together and make it easier for studying and, and whatnot. But um, they offered a scuba diving course. We both thought that that was super cool. And so we uh, took that course. It was over a semester long and I think it was about every other week or so we would go to the pool and do um, skills and, and learn how to breathe off regulators and, and, and assemble your, your gear and whatnot. And then we would, um, Eventually, at the end of the um, semester, you would complete what's called your confined water uh, portion. Um, and that doesn't necessarily give you the ability to go scuba diving just yet. So um, it comes in two parts. And um, maybe I'm touching on things before we get there, but um, I did, you then have to go down to what they call open water. And that can be uh, oceans or lakes, quarries, things like that. 
um, where you then do essentially the same skills, but just in open water in front of the instructors. And then that's how you get your open water course. So, you know, I've heard about weekend programs where you go long days and it takes about three days and you're certified. You did it over a longer period of time through college, which actually is better because you get more time to kind of get used to everything you need to know. But what do you think are the key skills that are are super critical before someone starts scuba diving? Well, you know, a lot of people think that uh, that you got to be a good swimmer to to scuba dive, and that's one of the big myths. But you you actually don't really have to be a good swimmer at all. The critical skills, I mean, it's I feel like it's such a different sport that you really just need to be in halfway decent shape and uh, open to new things. The first time you breathe underwater is pretty cool. Um, seems like most people have trouble removing their mask underwater and then putting it back on. Um, that's probably the skill that um, is most causes most people the issues uh, when they're training. So maybe get used to uh, having your eyes uh, exposed in open water would maybe be the, the best skill to, to practice if they were one to through the course easy it's interesting that you say that a lot of people think well i'm no good in water i better not scuba but everyone that i've talked to that trains people to scuba dive they say really that's not the case a lot of people that don't like water it's because of um not being able to look around in the water they don't like the water on their eyes you know and so getting the mask off might be the challenge but the mask actually provides them with a comfort level to enjoy the water that maybe wasn't a comfortable thing for them, you know, just as a swimmer. So a lot of people that don't really like water that much find that they really love scuba diving. It's kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did a little bit of uh, teaching um, uh, for a little while, and uh, I taught, I helped teach with some like open water classes, and it never failed that every time we would go to the part where we would have everybody pull their masks off there would be at least one person that would bolt up to the surface just because uh it was i guess they were really comfortable with the mask on and as soon as you pull it off they feel the water touching their nose and it scares them and they think that they can't breathe anymore so they just bolt up to the surface yeah and bolting to the surface is probably the one thing you don't want to do (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's it's a good idea to get used to that a little bit but probably, like you're saying, that may be the biggest challenge for most people to overcome. Yeah, seems like that's, that's been my experience. So, you know, as a cave diver, you're doing a lot of freshwater diving. And I think sure. a, yeah. a lot of people think about saltwater diving because, you know, that's where the coral, you know, that is, that's where the beautiful fish are and all that kind of stuff. But what's freshwater diving like? Freshwater diving is, it's the best. I am not a fan of ocean water, just the, the salt and, and everything. It's, uh, I've done some, some saltwater diving, of course, but um, the freshwater diving is awesome because usually um, it, there's less, uh, you have some different buoyancy characteristics, which is, which is always nice. Um, all of your gear, when you go dive in like the ocean, needs to be rinsed off because of all the salt and everything uh, can cause some issues. So freshwater is, uh, especially like from springs and such, is, is about as clean as it as it gets and uh you're able to just kind of hop right out you don't really have to rinse off your gear or anything um so freshwater uh, has some some definite pros um it maybe isn't as clear as some of the oceans uh, in, the, in the salt water but um you don't have to 
have any kind of nasty salt water in your mouth. Yeah. So that's another advantage, I guess, for fresh water. Interesting. You know, I started scuba diving back in college, much like yourself, actually in high school, but I ended up taking a college course as well and uh, did a lot of diving when I was in Oklahoma. So that was years ago, did a little saltwater diving, did a lot of freshwater diving. And then when I moved to Colorado, I got so busy with other sports, I haven't done it as much, but I still love it. It's just been a little bit less convenient for me. But something a lot of people don't know and that I experienced, I'm sure you have, a lot of these uh, reservoirs, they didn't cut the trees down. And so where the water's deep enough, when you dive down, the trees are still standing. They may have been there for 50, 60, 75 years, but they're still supple and they're still standing. So you can scuba dive through a forest. Mm-hmm. I think that's the coolest thing. Yeah, that's uh, it's, there, we have a few quarries around uh, in Kentucky that have, have some, exactly what you're saying, some standing trees. That, um, it's just cool to be able to hover over top of those and um, be able to it just kind of looks like a forest that you're just kind of flying over top of. Um, it's really, really cool. So what's your favorite part about scuba diving? Um, some people like to be able to see the saltwater fish. Some people like the freedom of movement, you know, the, the feeling that you are flying. What, what's your favorite? My favorite is that it's, it's just such a novel um, environment that there's, there's nothing like it it's uh it's just truly peaceful it's you're able to you know essentially fly through these through the water it's pretty effortless it's so hard to compare it to anything else and uh it's just such a such a nice sport and um you you're able to go see places that you know very few people if anyone at all ever ever will see in their lives and uh there's something to say about that too Mm, yeah well, maybe we should dive into the cave diving part of this. I didn't mean to make a pun there, but <laughs> so cave diving. Now that scares a lot of people. And here's the reason. When you're scuba diving, if something goes wrong, the surface is, you know, the escape route. When you're cave diving, up isn't out necessarily. And so yeah. that adds a new element to scuba diving that it scares me a little bit. I'm sure that other people are kind of like, oh, you're underground and underwater at the same time. I mean, I'm thinking about claustrophobia. I'm thinking about, you know, you really got to be on your game. You don't want to be deep in a cave and run out of air. Holy cow. So tell us a little bit about cave diving. What makes it special or different from just your open water diving? Yeah, that's that's kind of the impression that most people, most cave divers get when you tell somebody, you can't dive is, is they think it's, you know, the most dangerous thing ever. And, you know, you did a show not too long ago about dangerous aspects. And we always joke and say that the most dangerous part about cave diving is driving to the, the dive site. Right. And, you know, as you said, you know, if, if we have issues, we can't just surface. Um, we pretty much have to deal with the issue there. And um, that's where uh, it, it takes quite a bit of training to, to get to the level where you're, you're cave diving. Um, and, um, you work on a lot of skills that, um, you know, help you to, to adequately, you know, uh, deal with any issues that you have underwater. We, um, are extremely conservative with our air supply. We, we use what's called the thirds rule where we, we use one third going into the cave. We use one third going out 
then we have one third for emergency. Um, and that's the minimum that you um, should have. You know, a lot of most, I, I plan most of my diets with a little bit more um, emer- uh, conservancy than that. Um, just because when you do have problems, um, that one third is likely not actually enough to, to help you get out safely. Mm. Um, and then you tack on a buddy and, uh, and you both have, you know, you have a friend to help you get through what some issues you also have, you know, his, you know, his gas supply as well to, to help you if you, if, you know, one of your tanks uh, decides to just, uh, you know, start leaking air or whatever. So um, it's, it's just a lot of training, a lot of, practice um but it's you know it's a pretty safe sport um it's a it's just there's really nothing like it uh in my opinion well just my biased opinion i really love scuba diving because i like that feeling of flight i like the weightlessness i like being able to see animals of every shape color even things that i mean they look like they're from another planet just amazing animal life that you see you know, under the oceans and the, even in the freshwater, I see fish that blow my mind, just beautiful things you don't catch on a hook because they, they're not that kind of a fish. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I love all of that about it. But then if you add the exploration of an underwater cave, scuba diving to me is fun and I love it. But for me personally, I spent so much time in the water. There's not a real excitement factor. It's just a very enjoyable mm-hmm. factor. But you throw a cave into that, I get excited. I mean, that gets the <laughs> adrenaline pumping for me. So I don't know. Does it do that for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you'll see some photos of some really beautiful springs. And, um, you know, especially down in Florida, there's a, there's a ton of them. Um, and you, you just, all, most people will ever, all they'll ever see is this beautiful hole of, of you know, crystal clear water. And uh, most will always wonder, you know, what's down there. And uh, when you're, you know, a, a cave diver, you're able to, you know, go find out what's down there. And that's what's just, it's just so cool. And, and it's just unbelievable what you can find um, down in these caves. And, and uh, it's, you know, as you're saying, you know, you see these fish that just blow your mind. Well, you know, we'll see humongous uh, passage and, and these, these rock formations and, and clay banks that just, are just pristine and, and beautiful and you know and you may be the first to ever see this mm. and, and to be there and that's just what it's just really cool wow so the exploration aspect of it is is huge yeah yeah i can't imagine what it's like to go somewhat deep into one of these flooded caverns i mean like you say I, i'm i'm envisioning myself looking into some of these giant springs and seeing the clear water until it goes black and i look in that and it scares me and entices me at the same time yeah i think that so exploring caves is um you know like a section of uh, the cave diving that um i would say a lot of cave divers um don't do but they would like to um i have been fortunate to be able to be kind of mentored by a lot of divers and um, to help you know learn how to safely explore caves and, and uh, I think it because it adds a, a big um, it adds a level of um, I guess if you will um, danger to um, the sport um, you're you're going places that are 
people have never gone. Um, you are, you know, so we use a, uh, we always have a continuous guideline to the surface and that, you know, helps you prevent yourself from getting lost in the cave. Because you know, some of these caves are, are like labyrinths and, uh, you know, you, there's the passages look the same. And if you, you know, turn around and you're like, well, did I come out this way or did I go out this way? And, and um, so we always have a continuous guideline throughout the cave. Um, and so like the caves in Florida that have already been explored, they have this line in place. It's there permanently. It never goes anywhere. Um, but when you're exploring new caves, you are the one laying that line. And so you have to make sure you put it in a way that, um, you know, you can see it and you can follow it out um, with what we call zero visibility. So, you know, if, if um, a lot of the caves, the, the ground is made up of this fine silt that is uh, just mud. And if you touch it, it just, puffs out like smoke and in a matter of seconds you can have no you can't see anything Um, and so you have to be able to follow that line out in zero visibility and uh you know it should be able to take you out to the surface to where you know once it ends all you have to do is continue on up to the surface and you should be um in you know open air so the, the, the exploration part is definitely it's a it's a little bit level of, of danger, but it can, you know, it, it can be safely done as well. You know, when I was diving, like I said, 20 years ago or more, I went down to Jenny Springs, Florida, <laughs> and I'm sure you've probably done a lot of dives around there. Sure have. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time they had one cave where there were no passageways that you could get lost in. They had it. The only passageway that you might have was, was sealed off with a metal gate. So you couldn't go in. <laughs> So they would let any diver take a light in there and look around because just one big open, you know, cave. And you could pretty much swim up and out. It's about all mm-hmm. there was to it. The other caves, they said you can't take a light unless you're cave certified. You can't take a light, but you can go into the mouth of the cave and swim around where as long as you can see the exit. And so we did yeah. some of that. And that was really amazing to me. But then the idea that I could flip on a light and just keep going and going and going that just blows my mind. Yeah. And Chitty is, uh, is one of the more popular um, caves. It's the, so what you're talking about is sometimes referred to like as Chitty Spring. It's the, they have that grate in the back that keeps people from going back there. Um, and then over where you're talking about is the devil's cave system, which uh, technically has two, two windows into it. And um, I mean, it's, it's probably the most popular cave in Florida. Um, the visibility is always pretty much crystal clear. There's lots and lots of passage there. Um, and it's just, a, has everything from, from big open passage to, to small stuff where you're crawling through. Um, and, uh, it's just a, a beautiful cave. Um, but you know, that's also, that also attracts a lot of people that, um, aren't cave certified that, um, you know, like to go down in those caves, like you're talking about, and they'll bring a light and maybe go in and they're not actually supposed to be in there. Yikes. Well, let's talk about cave certification. You've also already said that it's really important to know what to watch out for when you're cave diving. It's not the same as open water diving. So how do you get cave certified? So, um, so, cave certif- so you obviously you got to be, um, open water scuba certified. Um, and then, uh, there's a few different training agencies, um, technical diving institute, um, and national NSSCDS, which is the National Speleological Society cave diving section. 
um, are, are two of the big ones. Um, and, uh, there's a, they, they each kind of have different requirements, but as a general kind of rule of thumb, you, you get, um, and then what's called an advanced diver certification, uh, and that like allows you to go a little bit deeper. Um, you should have nitrox certification, which is, um, like an enriched oxygen. So like, you know, the air we breathe is 21%. Well, um, nitrox is, um, anything over 21%. So like you know, common one is 30%, um, nitrox. And it just, um, it allows you to be able to stay down longer without having, um, the nitrogen, uh, building up in your body. Mm, okay. Um, and then pretty much after that, you can, um, you can take what's called cavern diver. And that allows you to go in the cave um, within like daylight, as you said. So as long as you can see daylight, you can, you know, uh, you know, ponder around in there and, and look around in the cave. Um, and cavern diver, it's really the, the foundation for a cave diver. It's one of the most important classes. It's where you learn how to run a reel from the surface. It's, you know, buoyancy and, and lights and, and signals and all that stuff. Um, so after you do that, you then have a class called like intro to cave diver, which is um, where you actually go beyond that light zone and you start actually going into the cave. Um, the major um, change is that you, know, you get to go beyond that light daylight zone, but and then you use one sixth roll, which is so you're only using one sixth of your gas supply. You then use one sixth coming out, and then you have that remaining for emergencies. And that's just to allow a whole lot of, of room for if you have issues at that early period of your, your, your you know, cave diving experience. From there, um, you go into what's called apprentice cave diver, and that allows you to begin using that one-thirds role. Um, and it allows you to, you know, continue on further into the cave, go a little bit further when you're using, you know, one-third of your gas supply. Um, the major restriction is that it doesn't allow you to jump off of what we call the main line or the gold line. And because um, there's a, you know, a, a cave has like uh, what we call like the main passage. And but then there's all these other small passages off that. And um, so as an apprentice cave diver, you can only stay in that main passage um, and then you just come right back out. And finally, when you, you know, get enough experience and, and you get some dives under your belt, which uh, at that level you can take um, full cave diver, which is where you um, can jump over to these other passages to where you can um, do um, you know deeper dives and those kind of things. And that kind of gives you what they call the uh, certification to learn. So now you know you can go cave diving, um, you know, but it's not the you, know, you still have a lot you can learn from. Um, and then there's a lot of a lot of technical courses from there that you can take that allow you to give to take to use different breathing gases like what we call trimix, which is where they use helium, um, and then that allows you to go deeper. Um, you can tack on um, rebreathers. You can tack on what we call diver propulsion vehicles, um, which are, are scooters, and these are these torpedo-looking things that propel you through the water. Um, it's just a there's a lot of, of different classes after you finish that, you know, initial cave diving certification that, that you can continue learning with. So I've got to ask some of the questions that I know people must be thinking about. You know, you mentioned that you have this main guideline that you're taking in. 
And I think about the Hansel and Gretel story. <laughs> what happens if the line gets cut or, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. So that's like, uh, and that happens, you know, and people, what will happen is you'll be diving along and, and somehow it gets, it never fails to get stuck in some piece of your gear, your fin, your, your uh, harness or something, and you can't get it out and you have to cut the line and to, in order to get it out. Um, you're taught in your cave training, you know, what you do if you get caught in the line. Um, and you are taught, you know, if you have to cut it, that you how to repair it um, and put it back. Um, so it's definitely, and then of course, you know, that comes back to when whoever initially runs the line has to make sure that they run it in a manner that it's kind of out of the way, that you're not getting caught on it and that um, it's not uh, going to get cut on some sharp rocks or, uh, or anything like that. So it's all a part so, of the plan. Yeah, yeah. So you you got to be prepared for pretty much everything. It's official. Winter has arrived, and Bentgate Mountaineering is prepared to help you get ready for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events. You know, another thing is you keep talking about gas mixes that allow you to stay in a little longer, go a little deeper. Um, mm -hmm. We might as well touch on that. Just in scuba, they're really, I mean, there's several dangers, but the, the I call them the big, really the big two. One is that you go too deep for too long and you have to deal with the potential for the bins, right, when you surface. The okay. other is uh, holding your breath and actually rupturing an air sac in your lungs, an air embolism. So you never hold your breath. You don't go too deep for too long. You're in pretty good shape. Scuba diving, really, those two rules, you know, that mm -hmm. takes care of the majority of the risk. But when you're cave diving and you're going deeper and you're using these other gases, um, how does that play in? Yeah, so um, so when you get to the level where you're, um, so when, when you're cave diving deeper, and longer, you're going to get into what they call decompression. And that's kind of what you, you just talked about, where if you stay down for a long time and you just come straight to the surface, you can get you know, the bends or you can get bent. Um, and that's where the uh, nitrogen that's in your body is causing issues with uh, like normal tissue function. And um, so what we do, okay, I would say most cave divers, they plan their dives before they go in. They kind of know 
okay, this is where we're going, this is how much air we're going to use, um, this is what our decompression will be, um, and they bring all the gas required for that and then some, you know, for, for emergency. And so we use dive computers that um, and, and different programs that help us know, okay, if we're going to be down, you have what's called a no decompression limit. And so you can say, well, okay, my no decompression limit is 30 minutes at this depth. If I stay longer than 30 minutes, I then have to decompress before I just go to the surface. And so you have what's called a deco stop. And you have, and usually you stop at a, a certain depth for a certain amount of time. And you um, are then able to go to the surface after you finish your deco stop. So um, dive computers have advanced a lot. Um, there's a lot of fancy ones out there. Um, and you take a dive computer and it measures your depth and your time. Uh, and it's based off various uh, algorithms that tell us, okay, if we're you know doing this dive to this depth, this is how much deep, this is how much time you need to spend at your deco stop and at this depth. And so the longer you do the dives, or the longer dives and the deeper they are, the more decompression you have to do. So um, you you're, you should know about how much decompression you're going to have before you enter the water because that way you know how much decompression, uh, how much air you need to bring in order to do that decompression. So um, then what you can do is uh, you can do, um, you can speed up your decompression by using uh, different breathing gases. So like oxygen, um, we a lot, most of us will bring um, 100% oxygen to um, our decompression stops, and that'll allow us to breathe in um, only oxygen instead of any more nitrogen, and we're off-gassing all of the nitrogen, um, and we're taking on no more in our body. So mm. every, exha- every exhale we do, we're getting rid of nitrogen, and we're inhaling only oxygen. But the catch is, is you, if you're breathing 100% oxygen, you can only, the max depth you can breathe that at is really about 20 feet. So um, most, I would, on, a, on a, like a normal average dive, you know, we're, we're just maybe going to no deeper than, say, like 100 feet, you would have, you would stop at about 20 feet um, and do your decompression stop where you could then throw in, you could start breathing your oxygen. Um, and you can just off-gas all that nitrogen much quicker than if you were just breathing your uh, 30% nitrox mix. Um, and so then you talk about um, what we call trivix, and that's where you, you in, involve helium, nitrogen, and oxygen. And the, the goal there um, is to decrease the amount of nitrogen uh, and replace it with helium, and uh, as well as you can decrease the levels of uh, oxygen to um, depending on the depth, of course. Um, it kind of gets really technical, so I'm trying to be very uh, <laughs> this is, superficial. This is amazing stuff. Keep going. Um, so it you can you can alter the the levels of the gases depending on the depth to ultimately decrease the amount of nitrogen that you are taking in. Um, so that way you can reduce the amount of decompression that you have to do. Um, and so you can actually you know, have what's called a hypoxic mix, um, which means that, so the air we breathe is, is 21%. Um, you can have like a, a 18 or 15% mix, um, which is that 18 or 15% oxygen. And, uh, and then, you know, some helium and some nitrogen in that mix, but you can't really breathe that at the surface because it's what's called hypoxic. Right. Um, it doesn't have, it doesn't have enough, uh, per se oxygen to, 
uh, actually breed that at the surface. So, but once you get down to like, you know, depths where the plan depth that you plan to go to, you can then breathe it in because what happens is, is um, as you go down in depth, the gas compresses. And so you have more, um, uh, you have a higher, what's called partial pressure. And so it allows you, the, the molecules are kind of crunched together more so that you can actually breathe that mix and it is enough for your body to, to breathe. So with that being said, you're able to, um, you know, again, reduce that decompression with a, with a hypoxic mix. But that's usually, most people that are doing that are, are, are going, you know, in excess of uh, 150, 200 feet deep. Pretty deep stuff. We should probably yeah. mention narcosis and then move on to the fun of this. <laughs> this okay, okay, sure. What you, just, what you just illustrated for us, though, is that there is a lot to learn and a lot of yeah. things that can be done to change the experience. And I like that. I love a sport where, you know, you can get started in it relatively easily. And then there's just a, a long learning curve after that where you can keep on learning more and more and experiencing new things. So that's really, really awesome. But what's mm-hmm. narcosis? So, uh, narcosis is, um, I guess in short, it's, uh, people compare it to, um, like drinking a few martinis is, is what it's most mostly, uh, compared to. And so if you have, um, I can remember when I first started scuba diving, um, we were diving at a spring in Florida called Blue Grotto and, uh, it has a deep section in the back that goes down to about a hundred feet and we were breathing air. So 21%. And then the rest of that is nitrogen, mostly nitrogen. So then you've got a, about, I guess, 79-ish percent of nitrogen. And what happens is that nitrogen is inert to us. So it doesn't really um, do anything bad for us, but it uh, can cloud like your vision. So um, when you go down to depth and you're breathing, you have all that nitrogen, you start to have what's called nitrogen narcosis. And it just kind of makes you, um, it does different things to different people. For me, um, I feel, uh, you can start to feel a little, um, I don't know, strange. You you start, um, kind of honing in on certain things. Um, it can cause anxiety. Um, it slows things down for me, depending on the depth, um, where it almost feels like, um, everything gets quiet and every move you're doing, it's like watching yourself in slow-mo. Um, and so that's kind of what not, it, it just alters your, uh, your mental status in a way it's similar to you know, drinking a few martinis. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like so, a good time to head up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so the, and that's why the terms like night, like nitrox, uh, and different gas mixes come into play, um, is, if you can reduce that um, level of nitrogen, you can uh, increase your overall um, ability to be clear-headed at that depth as well as decreasing the amount of decompression you have to do. So that's the other added benefit for different gas mixes is, um, you know, if you're at 200 feet and you have um, the least amount of nitrogen as possible and you've replaced that with helium, then um, you can... Uh, be a whole lot more clear-headed. And as you might expect, you want to be as clear-headed as possible at, at 200 feet deep. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. Well, we have had a uh, a commercial saturation diver on the show, and I believe mm-hmm. he, he was using Heliox. Of course, he stays saturated for days. Yeah. You know, so that he can do big jobs over extended periods of time. And when it comes time then to uh, decompress, it takes days. 
to decompress, mm-hmm. which just, that's a whole nother world. But that's not something that generally a, a cave diver is going to get into. Um, yeah, not, not days of, of decompression. Yeah. The, um, there is, there are some divers out there that are doing, um, you know, upwards of 16, 20 hour dives though. So they are, mm. you know, physically in the water for, uh, that long. And, um, you know, that's a whole nother, nother, uh, talk that right there. But, um, there are some guys that are decompressing for, you know, 10, 10 hours, 12 hours, you know, even longer than that. And, um, and it's just due to the depth and the, and the amount of time that they are diving at is just, that's just what they have to do. Um, well, that and, sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine a 10 hour decompression stop. I can't imagine a one hour decompression stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so, you know, the, they, they have, um, a lot of inventions that make it easier, like what they call a habitat, which is, um, if you can imagine you take a cup and you, um, flip it upside down and you shove it in like a pool of water and how that air is trapped in there. Right. Um, they create a, a habitat which was, and they, they build it down in the water and they fill it full of air. And then the divers are actually able to come out of the water and set up inside this habitat. They're able to eat and drink, um, and decompress all while watching, uh, uh, an iPad or something. And so they're able, they sit in that little habitat, you know, for whatever hours they have to, and, and they, they decompress that way. So it's not maybe as bad as you'd expect, but, uh, sitting in a room for, you know, more than a few hours is, yeah, it can, it can probably be pretty, pretty daunting. <laughs> it just goes to show it doesn't matter what the sport is there are people that are going to take it as far as they can. Right. And that is kind of the beauty of adventure sports is that people can take it as far as they can. Wow. Let's, you know what? I'd like to get a story from you. I would like to hear about your very first uh, cave dive when you were actually going beyond the surface light. I'd like to know what that was like. Well, um, when I first started cave diving after my training, it was pretty uh, kind of scary, I guess, if you will, because, you know, you, you have been training and practicing all this time, and now there's no longer uh, an instructor or anybody that's watching over you. You know, you're kind of on your own with a buddy. And uh, when I, the first few dives that I did after my training on, you know, my own, we're pretty, you know, we're, we're really cool because you you felt like it was, and it all comes full circle. You know, you spent all this time training and that you had finally reached to the level where you were, you were really doing something. You were on your own. And when you, you were able to just look around as much, you didn't have to worry about the instructor making you do drills and, and uh, taking your lights away and uh, pulling you off the, out of the passage and throwing you over anywhere. I think it was, it was pretty relaxing, but at the same time, it was really intimidating because, you know, you don't want to mess up. You don't obviously want to have anything go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is cool because what you're describing is what a lot of people experience with any sport. It's when they finally learn how to do it and they're able to go out on their own and, and try it for the first time. And it's all on them. You know, I think that personal challenge aspect of adventure sports is probably one of the most attractive things about it. Even if it's something as simple as learning how to alpine ski, 
yeah. know, it's that learning curve that is so much fun. It's just innate to what it is to be human, to want to learn new skills and to really enjoy that. Yeah. I can remember it not being too long because I was really conservative on my gas. I can remember it not being too technical because I didn't want to go jump off the main line or anything. And uh, I can remember it being very fulfilling, though, because first cave dives on your own. So that's pretty cool. Right on. So on Facebook, was it just last week you posted some stuff about a dive you did in Missouri? That's actually one of my favorite caves. Um, it's a cave called Cannonball Cave. Um, I think the, the story behind it is that there's a, they found a whole bunch of cannonballs down inside the spring um, that are, uh, I, I guess they date back to, I don't know, whenever they were using cannonballs. But, uh, um, and now they're, they're posted in the front of the cave now so you can take a look at them as you crawl through the cave. But what's super cool about this cave is that um, it's in the middle of a lake. It's in, it's in Missouri, um, Southern Missouri. It's in the middle of a lake that you know, it looks like a normal lake, but you would never know that about you know, 35 feet or so beneath that lake surface is uh, this super beautiful cave that's just, it's just unbelievable. Um, and it's, it's very uh, interesting how you find the cave. You have to, because the, the lake water is usually a murky green or brown color. And uh, you pretty much have to like, there's a few different ways that you can line up uh, with this antenna way in the background and you can take a, um, a reel and you can throw it as far as you can in the water and it'll, it should fall. Or you can line up with this certain tree on the shore and reel out <laughs> 75 feet. I mean, it's, there's it's like a, a treasure lot of, map. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of different ways you can find the spring and everybody uses kind of their, whatever works for them. But, um, on this day, we, uh, my friend, he, my buddy, he, uh, had a reel and he tied it to a tree and, he reeled it out at 75 feet. He has a loop tied in the in the reel, and then he just drops the the spool, and and it should you know fall uh, right into the spring entrance. And so um, you know if it does, then you just kind of have to keep searching around for the cave if you can find it, or you just retry it. And, and sometimes you you don't find it. But luckily on this day we we found it first try. We we. Um, you kind of follow that line down the, the shore from the shore. And, uh, before you know it, I mean, you're going through this nasty green water and then it's like, boom, it's this crystal clear, uh, beautiful lake or, uh, spring water. And, uh, it's just, it's just really, really cool to, to know that that's like a, a hidden gem out in this, this lake. Um, but then, uh, even more so is, is, in the back of this cave, about 600 feet in, Ooh. is this is this massive. Sorry, 600 horizontal feet, so not deep, right. but six, yeah. 600 horizontal feet in um, is this pit that's just. I don't know the exact distance. I think it's at least a uh, hundred feet in diameter, um, and it's just it's where the floor disappears and the uh, cave that, that just swallows your light that you're, you shine your light down and it's just black, wow. you know, and, and it's just, they have the line ran to where you can go right out to the middle and then you can drop from about 50 feet to a depth of, you know, close to 300 feet. Um, and it's just this, this super big pit. And I mean, it just really feels like 
uh, like you're in outer space or something hovering above this blackness uh, and you you know it just follows your light there's just no no floor in sight and we're using really powerful lights and it's just it's just pitch black it's the, the coolest cave um, that, that I've done uh, and uh, one of my favorites for sure wow well that raises another question for me you know when people go walking through a cave that's above water um, they see stalactites and stalagmites. Those things form because there's air for water to drip through. Yeah. So I know that some caves are flooded and they still have those formations because the water table was lower at some point in time. But yeah. I imagine a lot of these caves don't have those formations because they've never had the air in there. What's it, what's exactly. it usually like? Yeah, so um, a lot of the caves, you know, in Florida and in... Um, Anywhere pretty much other than uh, Mexico or uh, this, like kind of the, the tropical areas, they are all um, just limestone caves where there's limestone walls and, and everything, and but there's no uh, formations really or anything. Um, and that's due to, as you said, um, the water table was lower at one point and then it rose and it just kind of flooded them out. Um, so a lot of, all the caves pretty much in Mexico and, uh, like Dominican Republic and, uh, those places all have some really beautiful formations. Um, but most of the caves, you know, in the U S are not like that. There are some exceptions and most of those exceptions are due to a dry, it was once a dry cave, but then they dammed a river and it kind of, uh, backs up and, and then kind of, um, it floods the cave. And it kind of recharges that spring, and, and then uh, um, there are a few formations that way. Um, you will find the there's a cave we dive in Alabama that has a few formations. The uh, cave uh, in uh, southern Tennessee that has a couple formations, but it's always due to some kind of flooding um, of a dam or something. Hmm. Interesting. So, Another question I have is about current and. You know, I forget exactly where we were. I believe it was just outside of West Plains, Missouri. Mm -hmm. But there are some amazing springs there that have millions of gallons per day that, that come out of come out of these holes in the ground. And my family and I, I mean, here's one example. We, uh, we're driving along. We see that there is supposed to be a spring. So we stopped by the side of the road to look, and there was uh, an old mill that, you know, water wheel that used to grind flour or whatever. And I'm looking for the spring and, and trying to figure out where the water's coming from to run this mill. And then I realize, wait a minute, the spring is running the mill. There is that much water. The entire yeah. spring was just coming out of this mill. And uh, these are massive springs. But that the yeah. surface... The water is kind of like churning and boiling because the current is so strong shooting out of the ground that, you know, it's it's disturbing the surface, even though that's pretty deep. And I guess the reason I bring all that up is that means that there's a crazy current down there. And I can't imagine what it's like to get into those strong currents in a cave and then maybe have to fight your way out. Or do the currents generally try to push you out? Well, you know, so that, that brings in like a, another um, aspect is, you have, you know, most caves are like have, have a, um, a down, you're going upstream. So you're swimming upstream and the cave is going to be pushing against you the whole time. And so, um, like, as you said, um, Jenny Springs, um, you would swim, uh, upstream 
And so you would be fighting that flow. And then as that flow uh, is, is, you know, taking you, working against you on the way in, when you turn around and um, are exiting, it's actually pushing you out, which is really nice because then you get to pretty much just sit there and not do anything. And it just pushes you, you right out the cave. Um, but there are also um, some passages in some caves that have what's called a siphon or uh, even like a downstream. And what that means is that water is going um, away uh, from the exit. And so it's actually pulling you into the cave. So something to be, and, and, and you would never, well, you shouldn't ever dive. um, You know, if it's, if it's a really strong siphon, um, you would likely not dive it or you would dive it with knowing that's the case and you would have, uh, you know, you would be very conservative and you would dive in um, and expect it to be, you know, harder to get out. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, there aren't a whole lot of siphons that people are diving that are, are sucking you into the cave. Um, so uh, they're out there, but people shouldn't be that or aren't diving in there. They shouldn't be. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's kind of spooky sounding. I got to relate one story. Uh, I interviewed John Fielder a while back, and, and I used to always ask, and I'm going to ask you in a second because I want to hear it, but tell us about a time that things didn't go right. And I told John Fielder, you might save a life this way. He goes, no, I won't. People always get themselves in trouble, and that's what makes adventure adventure. We learn from our experiences. <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> I, I would like to learn from other people's mistakes as much as possible, but here's my mistake. I'm going to throw it out there just because I think it's a, a crazy story and people should know better. I was diving in a lake and found a little cave entrance under the water. And rule number one that I broke was I was diving alone. Rule number two was that I wasn't cave certified, right? So I broke that rule too. I went into this cave and I obviously wasn't going to go deep. I just want to kind of snoop around a little bit and come back out. Uh, got in there, went through a kind of a narrow passage it opened up, turned around, said, well, I'm going back out. On the way out, I got stuck. And it, it actually, the, the opening was so tight. I didn't know what was hung up, but I wasn't going anywhere. And so I uh, just felt around for a while and finally realized that one of my, my, my spare regulator was stuck between my hip and a rock. Mm. And so I rotated my hip, moved the regulator, and I was able to swim right back out again. Okay, so yeah. I broke all kinds of rules there. Really, really stupid, <laughs> right? But that yeah. is one of those don't try this tricks. Yeah. And it actually shook me up a little bit because I was like, man, if I got in there and ran out of air and couldn't get out. So what about that? You ever feel like you're going to get trapped in one of these caves? That's a, that's like the nightmare scenario. Yeah, so I knew, I knew you were going to ask me this, and I knew there was a there's a story that immediately comes to mind of a, there's a cave in Alabama that me and a a buddy were diving. And, uh, we've been, we've been exploring this cave for a little while and, um, we had it distance wise pushed back to almost 5,000 feet, uh, horizontal feet. And, um, we mostly dove it like in the wintertime, um, because, uh, it's, we access it through a farm that there's crops in the, you know, in the, spring and fall and everything and so um he accesses just kind of right through the field where he has his crops so we could really only get to it when his crops aren't there in the winter time and so um but we had dove it all the time in the winter and it actually is off of um, a river that again is dammed up um and so it varied that the depth in the cave varies with the level of the river outside 
so we um, had always dove it in the wintertime, but we went and dove it um, at a different time of the year and brought um, what we call scooters, those those torpedo things that propel you through the water because um, swimming 4,000 feet is a, a pretty good swim. So you can cut that time in half when you use a, a scooter that just kind of propels you through the water. And so we thought what we would do was scooter back to the the end of our exploration line, and then we would uh, continue on. Well, the rib, the water in the cave was lower than it normally was, and so the depth in the cave was already very shallow. You know, we're talking maybe ten feet deep. Uh, max depth was like twenty feet in one area, and so there was parts where we were pushing these. The visibility was already not that good, and so it, we maybe had. 10 feet of visibility um, at best. And so we uh, decided we would continue on in the cave. We were saying, you know, even though the visibility is not that good, we'll keep going on. And, uh, and it's, we're just kind of zooming through. And um, then we get to this first uh, air bell because the water is maybe a solid seven, 10 feet lower than normal. We were actually in dry cave at this point. Um, and it's all muddy bottom and we're pushing and crawling through this mud and all of this mud is just going down stream where we have to exit from. Oh no. So it's already hard enough to be we're crawling through these, um, these little air passages, um, with tanks and, a, and like, we have like three tanks and we have these you know heavy scooters and we're just shoving them through the mud. Um, all of our stuff is getting clogged in mud and, and everything and we keep going and we keep going and it takes us like two hours to get back to almost the end of where we would we were at the line and we knew that when we had to exit we would be having to go through all of that again but we had you know maybe 10 feet of visibility on the way in so we could actually kind of see a little bit well on the way out we knew we were likely going to have no visibility so we were going to have to uh, hold on to that line for you know about 4,000 feet and head out. And uh, it was at that, that point I knew that I was like, this is, I should not have, we should not have dove uh, in here in the first place. But um, I told my friend, I said, I'm going to head out because it's going to probably take another two hours to, to get out of here. And, uh, and sure enough, it did. And, and I mean, it, it took, I think we were total underwater time was, well, in the cave time, we weren't really underwater totally, but, uh, in the cave, we were almost five hours, oh. and uh, and our um, going back out, tons and tons of things were going wrong. Like you know, we were trying to scooter out, but um, we couldn't really scooter because of the depth, and and we were hitting all the uh, sides of the mud, and uh, and the line would was not ran in probably the best way, and all it was going to take for was the line to get caught up in the scooter, and then we were going to have another problem there. Um, my scooter got stuck on at one point when I was trying to uh, turn a corner and I had to run it into the wall and get it to, I was smacking the mud, it got clogged in the floor. And I was having to smack <laughs> it really oh, hard and get it to come out. And so it was just, uh, we finally made it out. I kept telling myself, man, if I can, if, if I just make it out of here, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. Uh, and so, but we made it out. We didn't really have a, a ton of issues. It just took a long time. And we had plenty of air because it was very shallow. Uh, and so we had plenty of air and that was never really a concern. I did have a regulator free flow because it got all muddy. Um, that was a, 
very interesting dive, though. And I learned a lot from that one, for sure. Lots of exploration there, it sounds like. But, man, that's spooky stuff. You know, we might be smack dab in the middle of winter these days, but spring is really just right around the corner. Make sure you've got one of our lightweight camp stoves ready to go in your pack for when the weather starts turning warmer. Both the 180 stove and the 180 flame are designed to burn the abundant wood fuels you find on the ground instead of requiring you to haul in heavy, messy camp fuels. Take a minute to head on over to our site at www.180tack.com to check out these American-made stoves that are built to last. You'll be helping us, and you'll be helping the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys. So when you think back on that, is it really still kind of a scary experience for you, or is it well we learned a lot and and everything turned out okay? Um, yeah, I think it's uh, you know, we learned a whole lot and um, we you know we didn't get anything done, uh, which is never fun. But um, we all we both made it out and had an awesome story. Went and got some good food. So it was a def- a big learning lesson. So it's still a little spooky when you you know when you think about all the fine details but you know part of that's just part of it wow yeah that one that one sounds scary to me just because the amount of exertion involved and you're just not sure how quickly you can even get out of there i mean if you're having to hang on to a rope and run a scooter at the same time how do you do that it's really hard to to scooter and hold the line at the same time so really i was holding the line and pushing the scooter in front of me uh, normally you would uh, take the scooter and you would tie it off behind you and you would tow it kind of behind you. But I was afraid that it was going to get caught up in the line or in a crack or something. And um, that I was just, I couldn't already see to begin with. I felt more comfortable pushing it ahead of me um, than I did uh, letting it tow behind me. There would become periods of uh, in the cave where visibility would kind of get a little bit better and I could actually see the line. So I would then begin scootering really slow and where I could, you know, I was only maybe a foot away from the line so that I could see the line and I could see, you know, where I was going in the cave for, you know, the next five feet or so. And, uh, it was, and, and then, you know, the visibility would turn back to, to next to nothing. And then you would just stop the scooter, grab the line and then continue on pushing through. Oh, <laughs> so, um, so that doesn't yeah. sell me on cave diving, Josh. I'm telling you that that doesn't sound like my cup of tea right there. It's not, it's not all like that though. You know, there's, <laughs> uh, it, it's like I said, that's a, you know, exploring caves and stuff is, is a little bit different than, um, you know, just cave diving in general, you know, down in Florida, there's some really beautiful, uh, incredible cave, um, you know, big cave too. I mean, you know, a lot of people, the first thing you say about cave diving, they're like, Ooh, claustrophobia, but man, there's some really big passage in these caves and, and, you know, there's also some really small passage, of course, but, you know, as a general rule, there's a lot of really big open caves that are just, just beautiful, perfect, clear water, uh, and just, you know, truly, uh, uh, mind blowing. Well, you know what? I love talking to you about this. I find it so fascinating. I wish we could go on for another hour, but we've already burned up our time. Can you close us out with, uh, 
just pick one of your favorite dives and walk us through how, how that went. It's supposed to be a sump dive that we were doing in, um, in Alabama. It was, um, a sump is where it's a, it goes underwater and then it comes up into dry cave where you would then, you know, cave as you would normally like above ground, above water. Um, and so what's, uh, we were, um, we, we went into this under this spring. It's one of those springs that was flooded. And so it had all these really awesome formations. I mean, it was just, you know, you felt like you were in Mexico, uh, or something other than, you know, the really cold water, but, um, you felt like you were, you know, in Mexico from all these humongous stalactites and stalagmites and um, the water was, was beautiful. It's clear. Uh, and eventually after I think it's about 700 feet or so, um, we surfaced in this, this big kind of dome room. Um, we took off all of our dive gear, uh, and we started looking around for, um, more cave, um, from the dome room. And uh, through this little crack in the wall, we were able to access this other dome room. And eventually we were able to explore that back out to this massive, beautiful, like picture-perfect dry caving room that we were the first ones to ever see this. There were these, what they call rimstone pools that were just very, very thin pieces of uh, rock that hold these crystal clear water. Um, these humongous stalactites and stalagmites. I mean, it was just truly like breathtaking. It was the coolest thing ever to be the first one there to, to see such beauty, uh, under the ground. And, you know, all it took was a, uh, a a 20 minute cave dive to go through and and a little bit of effort to get up to, up and through the cave to see this. I mean, it was just, you know, like, wow, you know, that's why I got in the cave dive. And that's exactly what I'm looking for. Hmm. Boy, that does sound really, really cool. You know, you mentioned some fragile formations there. What about conservation, taking care of these places? Yeah, so that's a that's a big part of um, of cave diving. The um, National Speleological Society uh, does a lot of, of great work um, for cave conservation, um, and they do a lot of uh, instruction on how to cave and um, cave lightly, um, as you will, uh, and how to protect these caves because, you know, these formations and stuff have been forming for years and years and years and, and, and can all be gone by just uh, uh, somebody just wanting to, to remove it from the cave or just being careless and, and popping into it. And and so, you know, the, these what happens underground affects us above ground too, though. You know, what, these water systems that we're diving are are part of, a lot of the times, part of the drinking water that, that you know, we're using every day the, the water that we we're taking showers in and cooking with and things like that. And so, um, you know, when companies and stuff want to access these springs or, or put pipelines, that's going to interfere with the, the flow of these springs and all these aquifers, you know, it's, it's important that we not just, you know, say, okay, cool, do it because, you know, this affects us too. So we, um, as a, you know, we, we like to try and educate, everybody on uh, the importance of, of caves and, and underwater caves and uh, help them to understand that um, these are important and just, uh, you know, carelessly placing stuff on top of them and um, just, you know, kind of neglecting their existence is it's just not, not beneficial. So um, there's animals that, that live in these caves. There's uh, microorganisms that are, uh, you know, could, you know, potentially help um, 
help us in, you know, in the future. I mean, there's, there's a lot of benefits from these caves and uh, I think it's important for, for everybody to, to know that. I love it that you guys uh, not only know how to take care of the natural environment, but that you can promote it for others too and help wake the rest of us up because what we're doing on the surface is impacting what's beneath. Not something mm-hmm. a lot of people think about. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, hydrologists and stuff that are able to test water and, uh, and find, they do what's called dye tracing and, and see, you know, these, some of these caves are, are connected, though they're just miles and miles away from each other. They're still hydrogeologically connected. Um, and so if you, you may be building something, you know, 10 miles down the road, but this water is all connected. So it may be far away from the public out there, but because they're connected through water, it's, it's, you know, it, it will affect people that are, you know, 10 miles away. And, and so it's just, uh, it, it's super important that, that we, um, just not neglect their existence and that we, um, you know, make sure we're taking care of them and, and doing our part. Yeah. Cool stuff. So how can people find out more information? I know you have a blog out there that if people are interested, they can see some of the pictures and the videos and, and read more stories about some of these dives. Great resource. So how can people find you? Um, so I try to maintain a blog, um, hobbyistexplorer.blogspot.com. Um, it's where I try and post some of the dives and, and caves that, that we go into. Um, and then uh, cave.org is a great resource for um, caving. Um, that's the NSS, uh, um, direct website. You can learn, you can, uh, get over, get on everything of, um, exploration, studying, uh, and, uh, finding, um, uh, like a caving club near you as well. You know, there's a lot of local grottos, um, in all these states, but if you've always, you know, kind of been interested in caving, um, you know, these grottos will, you know, lend you a helmet, uh, light and you guys can, you can go see some beautiful stuff underground. Um, and then, Cave diving wise, there's a um, great resource is uh, nsscds.org, and that's the direct website for um, the cave diving section of the NSS. And from there, they do um, they have all the information for training, um, conservation, safety, um, some really good photos. Um, I think they've got a forum as well, so um, a lot of good stuff there. And then um, you know, feel free to contact me if you ever have any questions. Uh, um, I can. Uh, hopefully point you in the right direction. Right on. So help us out a little bit. You say NSF, so National Speleologic- Speleological. So N is in Nancy, S is in Sam, F is in Frank. And then cds.org. And that's uh, C as in cat, D as in dog, and then S um, as in safety.org. Right on. And once again, your blog is hobbyistexplorer.blogspot dot com and man i i plan to spend some time there this winter doing some armchair spelunking with you <laughs> very cool well, i'm really happy to be able to get on the show and um big fan of the show uh listen every week so keep up the good work oh thanks man we we love having you on and i love talking cave diving i feel like we just scratched the surface would you be willing to come back on again at some point in the future, and we can dive into more amazing stories about your experiences. Definitely. I would, I would love to, to come back on and, and share some, some good stories and some of, uh, of the projects that I'm sometimes able to help with. Oh, fantastic. That'd be great. Well, thanks again for your time. And for all of our listeners out there, you know what I'm going to say. Get out there and have some fun. You know, cave diving. Wow. 
It's, it's like a part of the earth that we know so little about. You think about our own planet and what, you know, what is underground and what's left to be found for the very first time. A lot of explorers these days go to places that have all been explored out before. They just try to do it in a new way. But if you get into something like this, it's like Josh said, you could do something for the very first time that no one has ever done before. What a cool idea. So make sure you do get out there. Have some fun. Coming up on Monday's episode, we're going to have Robert and Daisy Kuhnstater on to talk about trekking in Peru. Until then, you're going to get out and have some fun, right? Right. Thanks for listening. You're not leaving yet, are you? Why don't you do yourself and us a favor and become a member of our Facebook group. In there, you can hear about some awesome adventures, learn how to do new ones, and share what you've been up to. And while you're on the web, do us a favor and go over to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast and consider becoming a patron to help the show. You can also find a link to patron at the top of our website at adventuresportspodcast.com. As always, thanks for listening, guys.